We're continuing our studies in 2 Corinthians. We are still in chapter 11. We are down at verse 16 today, and if time allows, we will hope to finish this this morning, at least this chapter, and then tonight we get into chapter 12, which is a very interesting chapter. All right? Now, tell me if you all re- this brings anything to mind. See this pretty face? Nobody's going to hit this because I move like a butterfly and I sting like a bee. Who's that? If anybody could boast, it was Muhammad Ali. Wouldn't you agree? Listen to this. As he described the punch that knocked out Sonny Liston. Listen for a moment. Anchor punch. Which one? Anchor. I call it the anchor punch. That's the one Stephen fetched it out Yeah, man. And people couldn't see it. They, it was so fast. Sport Illustrated clocked the. They got a slow motion camera. They clocked the punch, and the punch flew at four one hundredths of a second. You can break a second down to a hundred pieces. You know how people win a ski race, they say he won in 16 one hundreds, he won in 32 one hundreds of a second. So you can break a second down to a hundred pieces. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's quick. So four one hundred, they got a machine that goes like, real quick, and it counts real quick, you know, real quick. And by the time that thing hit four, that's how quick, from the time the punch started to the where it landed, it was four one hundredths of a second, which is an eye blink, like a camera flash. That's 400 a second. Now, the minute I hit Sonny Liston, all of those people blinked at that moment. That's why they didn't see the <laughs> I swear. Now, if you watch the film close, you got to hold your eyes. And keep looking about that. When I say, all right, I'm getting ready to hit him, you can't just, you got to hold your eyes and wait. So you won't see it, man. So he's now going to resort to the foolish tactics of self-boasting boasting about his own accomplishments the way the false teachers were doing. He does not want to do it, he insists, but he asks the Corinthians to please to put up with him as he goes through this particular strategy here. Now he says he knows when he does this, he's going to make a fool of himself, but he's using himself as an illustration as the way the false teachers are making fools of themselves but do not know it. He's just going to do what they do to make a fool of himself so that they could see that they're making a fool of themselves. Now, if you remember, Paul very clearly in the opening chapters of Corinthians says that he preached Christ and him crucified. He did not preach himself. Now, when you understand what was going on at Corinth, you'll see there's an implication here that the false teachers were probably preaching about themselves more than they were preaching about Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, I believe a lot of that is happening today as well. A lot of people pick up the Bible, say that they're preaching the word, but they preach more their own word than the word of God. Paul says that he was preaching Christ and him crucified. But the Corinthians seem to have preferred the way that the false teachers preached in the flesh to magnify themselves. And so he says, okay, I'm going to do the same thing to you as they are doing to you. And I want you to see the foolishness of this. What Paul is doing is he is using a strategy that will call him, cause him to defeat his opponents by using their tactics, but in reverse. 
This is an amazing thing that Paul does here. He used boasting as a tactic, but he uses it in reverse to the way that the Corinthian false teachers were doing. So look at verse 1. It says, again I say, don't think I am a fool to talk like this. This is a New Living Translation. But even if you do, listen to me. But even if you do, listen to me as you would to a foolish person, while I also boast a lot boast for a little. You see, the Corinthians had been led by the false apostles to appreciate or to look for those individuals who boasted in their own achievements. So Paul said he would play along with them for a while. He would accommodate himself to their perspective. However, as he goes on, he would be teaching the Corinthians to realize that divine accreditation should be seen not against the background of human greatness, but of human weakness. These men were emphasizing human greatness. Paul is going to boast, but he's not going to boast in human greatness. He's going to boast in human weakness. And he's going to say, in effect, to these false uh, teachers at current, let me see you do that. Let me see if you'd be willing to do what I am doing in boasting in my weaknesses and not my strength. So he's using just the opposite of the thinking and philosophy of man, which the false apostles were doing. And in doing this, Paul is going to lead the Corinthians to correct their thinking to show that the marks of an apostle were the marks of Jesus Christ, which included weakness and suffering. And this was lacking from the life of the false teachers at Corinth. So in this passage then, in fact, right down to verse 10 of chapter 12, Paul describes in detail his weaknesses rather than his strengths. And what he says in effect is this, these are the credentials of an apostle. These are the credentials of a true servant of God, not the things that the false teachers were talking about, strength and pride, but rather its weakness and its uh, dependence upon Christ. And he says he will be able to boast or take credit, not for the great things he had done, but for the pain and the suffering and persecution he had experienced in the name of Christ. So he's going to turn the idea of boasting on its head. Rather than boasting about the great things, he's going to boast about the little things. Rather than boast in strength, he's going to boast in weaknesses. Paul saying in doing so, he's going to be following the example of Jesus Christ and not what these men were doing. Verse 2, or I'm sorry, verse 17, such a boasting is not from the Lord, but I am acting like a fool. And since others boast about their human achievements, I will also. Now what he says here, he's not being like Christ right now. He's not following the example of Christ in boasting, but Christ did not boast of any, in any way at all. So he says, I'm not following Christ right now. I'm following the man who you are following, false teachers, to show how wrong they are. Jesus never did this kind of boasting, Paul is saying. He never did it. Now, I'm going to do it, but I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it to teach you a lesson and to exemplify exactly the error that these false teachers were involved in. In other words... He is following the instructions of Proverbs 26.5, which says that answer a fool according to his foolishness. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. 
So he reiterates his plea again in verse 1 and verse 15 of this chapter to bear up with me. Put up with me for a few minutes, he's asking the uh, people at Corinth. Put up me, put up with me for a few moments while I engage in this kind of activity. Remember, this is not the way I normally do things, but please put up with me while I teach you why it's wrong. So Paul, in effect, is acting like a fleshly person here, like a carnal mind, in order to beat the false teachers at their own going, at their own game. He's going to tweak their strength for his own benefit. He's going to tweak their strategy for his own benefit. Now, the word fool in this passage is used throughout this passage. It's from a Greek word, aphron. It means ignorant. Another Greek word is the Greek word moros, which means stupid or moron. Paul is not using this word. He's using the word aphron. He's not speaking about boasting in a haughty way, but rather boasting in a strategic way to affirm his claim as an apostle. Paul is using boasting in a strategic way to show why he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Again, I want to emphasize it, otherwise you won't understand the passage. He made it clear that his boasting was not talking as the Lord would talk at all because Jesus never boasted, never defended himself in this way. But Paul says, in this case, I have to do it in order to teach you a lesson. But he's doing it reluctantly. Verse 19, after all, you think you are wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. That's why he said, put up with me for a while because I'm going to talk like a fool. So the same way you put up with those fools you have over there, I want you to put up with me. You put up with it, you put it up, you put up with it when someone enslaves you, takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of everything, and slaps you in the face. Now, this is exactly what was being done to them by these apostles. Paul is trying to teach them, but they were doing it in a deceitful way. He says, I'm ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that. But whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again, I dare to boast about it too. Paul is being both a little sarcastic and sort of ironic here as well. He's using irony here. He says, in effect, you think you were or wise in putting up with or accommodating these fools. Because these Corinthians really thought that they were doing something good. They were wise in letting these false teachers do what they did because they had these tremendous credentials from the church in Jerusalem. Paul calls that man's credentials. Paul says, I don't have those credentials. My credentials comes from God. Their credentials come from man. He says, my credentials are therefore greater than those. He says, now you think you are wise in putting up with or accommodating these fools, which was a foolish thing for you to do. In other words, says you thought you were wise in listening to these teachers who are fools, but you were fools yourself in listening to them, in putting up with them is what he's saying here. You allow them, you gave them permission to enslave you. That's what he's saying here. When someone enslaves you. In context, this applies specifically to be enslaved by false teaching and the philosophy of man. And then he says, you allow them, these fools, to take everything you have. In other words, he says, they fleece you, and you not only allow them to fleece you, you give them the fleece yourselves. Now, you say, well, what does this have to do with me today? Well, think about it. 
Think about who it is that you support in the ministry. What are their doctrines? Is it in keeping with the word of God? If you allow yourself to listen and to be taken in by false teaching, and then you willingly give your money and your time and your effort to them, Paul says you're a fool to do it. You're foolish. But these Corinthians were allowing themselves to be enslaved to this kind of strategy. He says, but you think you're wise in doing so. They take advantage of you, and they control you completely. Not only that, they humiliate you. They slap you in the face. That's one of the most humiliating things that happen to individuals in this day. It's like in, in the East now where you, show, where you throw a shoe at somebody, which is supposed to be so insulting. Well, slapping one in the face was that same kind of effect. Paul says, but that's what you do when you allow yourselves to sit there and just listen to false teaching. You're actually be allowing yourselves to be humiliated in the lowest degree. Paul then says, um, they lorded over them as well. Now, Paul was accused of doing that. Paul was accused of lording it over the Corinthians. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 24, you'll see this. But now, Paul says, I was not lording it over you. If you really want to see who is lording over you, look at the men who are in your church right now. That's what he's saying here. They are the ones you should fear, not me. I did not, over, I did not lord it over you the way you're allowing these fools to lord it over you now. They would exploit them in the name of Christ and enslave the Corinthians to gratify themselves. Paul said he had been too weak for that. Now this is, he's, he's using a little irony here. He says he's too weak to lord it over God's people. He doesn't want to be strong in that. He wants to be weak in that. So he's not boasting in his strength to, over lord, it, to lord it over God's people. He is boasting in his weakness or his inability to do that. You understand? This is what he's saying here. And he says, I'm not like them. They are strong in lording it over you. Thankfully, I am weak in lording over you. I cannot do it. Paul says he's too weak for that. He was not that bold and he was not that arrogant. Instead, he said, he had presented himself to the Corinthians as their servant and Christ as their only Lord. It's back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. So what Paul is saying is, he was weak in the area of lording it over the Corinthians. But these false teachers were strong in that area. He's being very sarcastic when he says he was ashamed to be too weak to do that. In actuality, Paul is boasting in his weakness. You understand? Paul is boasting in his weakness in not being able to lord it over God's people. That's what he's saying here. He's boasting in his weakness, not in his strength. Paul says that if the way... That if the way the false teachers acted is real strength, then he has to say to his shame that he never showed that kind of strength, but rather weakness. Again, he's been very sarcastic. But he quickly adds that in whatever aspect these men had reason to be bold, he certainly had the same right to be bold as they, but from a different perspective. That right actually caused him to be humble rather than arrogant. Paul says as an apostle, and you've got to see this in the context, as an apostle, he had the right and evil, the authority to lord it over the Corinthians. He was the one who brought them the gospel. He was the one who was appointed by God to do all of that. He said, there's anyone who had the right and authority to lord it over you, I had that right. But I didn't use that right. I didn't feel that arrogant or that bold. However, these other fellows did because they had these letters from the church in Jerusalem. 
Paul says, no, no, that's not me. I will not, I will not boast in that as a strength. In fact, I boast in it as a weakness. You see, it was characteristic of these false teachers to exalt themselves by pride and boastfulness. What they had accomplished, what they're doing, how many kind of encounters they had with Christ and so on. We can talk about that later on as well. And so by criticizing Paul, they tried to make themselves appear greater to the Corinthians than Paul was. Finally, Paul says, as I mentioned, that they struck the believers in the face, which I mentioned is a mark of great uh, disrespect and humiliation. But the point Paul is making is the Corinthians allowed themselves to be treated in this way by the false teachers. They just simply, they just simply sat there, took it in, and didn't do anything about it, didn't oppose it. They put up with it, Paul's words here. In other words, to use another paraphrase, they were like sheep led to the slaughter who opened not their mouths when they should have opened their mouths. But they allowed these men to lord it over them. So Paul is condemning then the passivity and the laxidaisness of the Corinthians allowing false teachers and false teachings to pervade their lifestyle, to pervade their congregation, to pervade their meetings. This is the challenge for us. Do we do that? Do we do this and not realize the danger and exactly what we're doing? Not only by what you hear from this pulpit, but by what you hear on the radio, on the TV, and so on? Are we being taken advantage of and allowing ourselves to be taken advantage of? Paul said we are, we're fools. That's what he's making in the passage. But now, Paul begins to compare the external qualifications in which his opponents boasted and apparently tickled the ears of the Corinthians. In other words, Paul is going to use the same strategy now that these false teachers did. I am this, I am that, I am this, I am that. This makes me greater than Paul. This makes me better than Paul. Paul is going to use the same tactic now and to show them that he, in fact, uh, is the genuine apostle and they are not. You remember what, it says, what Paul says in a different passage. The time will come when they will not endorse sound doctrine, but wanting to have the ears tickle, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth that will turn again to miss. Beloved, this is happening on a regular basis today in the Bahamas and over. We don't look for people who teach the word anymore. We look to people who tickle our ears, who cause us to laugh, who cause us to feel good, cause us to just believe that everything is just okay in our lives, no matter how we live. That's okay because God understands. Paul says, no, no, no. He says, you're only looking for people, teachers, who will tickle your fancy, who will please you. That's a, not, that's a foolish thing to do, is what he isn't giving here. John Nelson Darby, he was a leading teacher among the early brethren. He was the major proponent of what we now call dispensationalism, in which the truth of the rapture was emphasized. He made a statement once, and this is what he says. It is wonderful what people will suffer for war. It is wonderful what people will suffer from what is false, but very much more than they will endure from what is true. People will endure more for false teaching than they will for true teaching. It's amazing. Paul talks about that here. Let's go to verse 22. Paul now goes on to try to show that he is more superior in the areas that these people were boasting in. 
He says, are they, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. You see, this gives some idea of who these people were. They were Jews. They were Jews probably endorsed and sent from the church in Jerusalem who still held on to the, to the Mosaic law and so on. And they were, they were trying to emphasize the fact that they were true Jews, as it were. In other words, these men boasted in their Jewishness. Paul never did that. But he says, if I had to, to boast, I could boast even in greater terms than they are. Because he says here, he says, uh, are they Hebrews? So am I. In fact, he said he was, what, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He kept the law to a T, as it were. This is a racial boasting that they were doing here, trying to show their purity as Jews as compared to Gentiles. These false teachers boasted in the fact that they were true Jews, tying themselves, again I say, especially with the 11 in Jerusalem, or the 12 in Jerusalem, from whom they probably got their credentials that they were boasting in. Paul says he was a Hebrew-speaking Jew. That's what he means. He was a Hebrew-speaking Jew, not a Greek-speaking Jew. This is a way of saying that he was a true Jew, a pure Jew. If anyone could, be bo could boast of being a Jew, he was. As far as Abraham's descendants was concerned, he says he was circumcised on the eighth day as the law required. This was the mark of a true Orthodox Jew. But in Romans 4.16, 4, Paul says he was Abraham's descendants by faith. He is saying from a human point of view, his credentials as a true Jew were impeccable. They were greater than the false teachers. He could boast if he wanted to along these lines in a greater way than they could. Verse 23, are they servants of Christ? As they falsely claimed. I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. You see, the false teachers, now this is important to note, they were boasting in the quantity of service that they had done. Something that Paul had earlier said in First Corinthians chapter 3 that he would not do because it was an absurd thing to do. You don't boast on how much work you've done for, for Christ. Paul emphasized the quality in God's service, not the quantity of it. Was it pure? Was it faithful? That's what Paul stressed here. And he noted the absurdity of trying to use the quantity of service as a measuring stick for the servant of God in 2 Corinthians 5.13 as well. But the emphasis and preoccupation of the Corinthians upon these matters in comparing Paul with these false teachers forced him to deal with it. He says, now you Corinthians, you've been listening to all of these claims about I am a true Jew, I am a Abraham, of the tribe of, of the line of Abraham, and all of these things. I didn't boast of those things, but I can if I want to. And I'm just drawing your attention to that is what he's saying. Look at verse 27. I'm, I'm sorry, let me just say some more things here. Then 
he talked about the different things he had done. He said, if you want to talk about quantity, let me tell you about some quantity. I have served Christ far more. I have worked harder. I've been put in prison more often. The idea is, tell me how many of you were. I have been whipped times without number. How many of you were? Face death again and again. How many of you have? Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. That was all they were allowed to do. Otherwise, they could kill him. So he was put near to the point of death um, five different times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Some scholars say that's why Paul was bow-legged and he had a back problem because he was beaten so much. Once I was stoned. We're going to talk about this a little later tonight when we come to chapter 12 when Paul talks about that he was uh, taken into the third heavens. He didn't know whether he was alive or dead. And some believe it was when he was stoned and left for dead that he had a near-death experience. Now, this is all a speculation, of course. But he says, I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. Now, these things were nothing great. These were things that Paul would not boast in. But he says, listen, if you really want to boast, that is something to boast in because I was suffering for Jesus Christ. That's the point. I was suffering for Jesus Christ. And if I have anything to boast in at all, it's not what I have accomplished in the flesh, but it is what I have suffered for Jesus Christ. Verse 26, I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. You know, sometimes we read about Paul's missionary journeys and we don't realize the problems he faced. It's not like us getting a bus, getting a car, getting a plane and move from place to place. He had to walk or ride a donkey and there were robbers all over wherever he traveled and he faced that on a continuing basis all the time. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. He can go in no matter where he turned, left or right. He was persecuted for Christ. I have faced dangers in the cities, in the desert, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. And that's what he's putting in the men in Corinth in that category. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shriveled in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Paul said, that's what I boast in. I don't boast in the fact that I, am, I want to be a wealthy person. Like we have today, this health and wealth gospel. People say, you're a servant of Christ, therefore you should get the best. You should drive the best car, drive the, put on the best suit, have the best watch, do everything. That's what not Paul is teaching here at all. Just the opposite. Paul said that's what the false teachers teach. It's just the opposite of what he or Jesus taught. So as far as intensity and scope of ministry is concerned, no apostle or even group of apostles could match Paul's record of service. But amazingly, rather than focusing on the glories and triumphs of his ministry, he focused instead on the trials, the persecutions, the hardships, and extreme difficulties and failures of his service, following the example of Christ rather than his opponents in Corinth. Paul boasted then in his sufferings and weaknesses as marks of a genuine servant of Christ and true apostle. This was the more Christ-like thing to do, and that's why he was doing it. He was being like Christ, 
not like these false teachers. And that's Paul's point. Paul is inverting the idea of boasting. Now, again, you've got to understand people that Paul was talking to. Paul was talking to the Corinthians who were familiar with the Greek um, uh, dominion in their lives. And the Greeks were known for their boasting. If anyone could boast, it was the Greeks, especially in the army, the soldiers. They used to make a thing of boasting of their feats and what they've accomplished. And so Paul is using boasting in the inverted order, as it were. He is not doing it the same way that the false teachers would, but the way Christ would. He said, if there's anything I want to boast in, it is not my strength, but my weakness. He then shares a personal, emotional, ministerial, and pastoral secret. This is almost like an addendum. He says in verse 28, Besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. He says, if you really want to know something, all of those things I just mentioned to you, they ain't nothing compare to the concern that I have for you all, the people of God, not only for the church at Corinth, but all the Gentile churches. He says, I have a concern, and they weigh heavily upon me the same way all of these other problems did. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray, and I do not burn with anger? Paul says, I feel it every time. For instance, what happened in Corinth right now, you're going after false teacher, false teachers. I burn with anger. And as we saw before, he wrote very harshly to the Corinthians to correct that. And he had to apologize a couple of times. But he said, I did it for your benefit, not for mine. He says, and I feel it when any member of the church experiences weakness or problems in their lives. I feel it. I empathize with that. And so he says, not only do I suffer for Christ physically, but I suffer for Christ emotionally, psychologically as well. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul had written at length about the church as a body composed of various members that were knit together by a mutual concern for each other. He's showing how that affected him as an apostle. It weighed heavily on him, and it caused him to experience a lot of difficulties. Verse 30 says, If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. Now, that is an odd saying, isn't it? But Paul is doing that deliberately. He said, These men are boasting in how strong they are. That's not Christ-like. Christ-likeness, if you have any boasting at all to do, you will boast in how weak you are. Paul had taken the standards of the Corinthians and false teachers for evaluating genuine Christian ministry and turned them upside down. He inverted their criteria. His catalog of sufferings could hardly have been what they expected to read. He boasted not in his power, but in his weaknesses. Paul's boast was that his life was like that of Jesus Christ. And even as Jesus had been a man of sorrows and, and familiar with suffering, so had Paul. That's what he's saying here. And as Jesus took our infirmities and carried our sorrows, Paul says he doing the same thing, but in a different way. That's his credentials as an apostle. So Paul's boast was that he was like the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, not some supposedly super apostle. This was a magnificent Christ-centered claim void of self-glory, something that the false teachers and carnal Corinthians could not comprehend or appreciate. 
Paul then is trying to show us that even as believers, if we have anything to boast of, it's not our strength. It's our weakness, our dependency upon Jesus Christ. Paul then makes two strange, unexpected statements here. Verse 31, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows that I am not lying. Paul is almost making an oath here because he was aware of the fact that his credibility was questioned at Corinth because they said that he was not telling the truth about his apostleship. So Paul validates the truthfulness and veracity of his statement by calling upon God himself as his divine witnesses. He did, as it were, take an oath to the fact that he's telling the truth. He's saying, what I am saying to you is true, and God knows it. He then closes this section with an entirely seemingly insignificant reference to something so humiliating that happened early in his life and ministry. This is what he says. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Artius kept guards at the city gates to catch me. I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. Now, if anything it was humiliating, it was this. For an apostle to be led over a wall in a basket to escape his enemies. Now, why would he make such a reference? Paul, again, is drawing upon the context of the city in which, to which he was writing. You see, it turns out that the Romans at that time, under whose government, of course, Israel was subjected, they had a powerful and well-respected army. Boasting, as I said, was a trademark among the soldiers, especially the commanders or the generals. They boasted in their right to boast. They boasted in their victories and individual exploits. They had a crown for most of the victories the accomplishments that they were the same way we would have in the Olympics today. They had certain crowns that would give for certain feats. One of the special crowns or rewards they used was an award called the Muriel Crown, or the Latin phrase was the Corona Muralis, the Corona Muralis. This was a walled crown, literally a wall crown. It was a golden crown or circle of gold that was intended to resemble a battlement, in other words, a battlefield. This crown, this corona muralis, was bestowed upon the first soldier who climbed the wall of the city they were attacking. The first soldier to climb the wall would get this corona muralis, and he would then have something to boast about. Paul is doing just the opposite. He says, I have a crown I have a corona muralis as well. But rather than being given to me for scaling the wall, is given to me for getting lowered over the wall, which was a humiliating thing. See, one is humiliating, the other was uh, glorifying. Thank you very much. And so Paul is doing the same thing. He's using the idea of boasting and turns it on its head. He says the things that they boasted in I do not boast in. And the things that they would not boast in is what I boast in because that's the way Christ was. So, what, some quick lessons here for application for us. One, do not be involved in self-promotion as a means of validating your ministry. In other words, be careful when somebody comes to you and or you have been involved in the ministry for a long time and nobody recognizes you. 
Nobody recognized you or says anything. And so you respond with, boy, you don't know how long I was at this ministry, the things I had to do, the things I had to put up with. I had to get up early in the morning. I had to stay up late in the night. I had to do this. I had to do that. You're boasting. Paul says you shouldn't be doing that. You should thank God that you had the privilege of even serving in that line. So do not be involved in self-promotion as a means of validating your ministry. Secondly, do not serve for personal gain or enjoyment of the life of ease, but be willing to suffer for Christ and his people when it comes to Christian service and Christian ministry. We should not look just for those ministries that don't give us any stress, don't give us any problems, but in fact the ones that do in fact cause difficulties and problems because those are the ones that we have to draw upon the strength of Christ in our weakness. And that's what Paul was trying to present here. When he is weak, then he is strong because he has to draw upon the strength of Christ. Thirdly, glory only, when God, glory only in what God has done in your life and ministry, not what you have accomplished in your own strength. Only for the service that God, only for the service that could pass, only God could do that test. Only God could do that. That's something we need to keep in mind of as well. Fourth, do not serve for an earthly or temporal reward in the present, but for an eternal one in the future. Paul was looking for a crown that would not fade away. These generals looking for a crown that would fade away. And then finally, if you do boast, boast in your weakness rather than in your strength, because it is when you are weak that you are strong, because you have the jaw upon Christ. Now, Peter, the apostle Peter deals with this, but he deals with it in a different way than Paul did. He actually looks at it very directly. Speaking specifically to elders and pastors, this is what Paul, Peter says in 1 Peter 5. Now, a word to you who are elders in the church. I, too, am an elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and I, too, will share his glory and his honor when he returns. Notice the connection with sufferings and glory and honor. As a fellow elder, this is my appeal to you. Care for the flock of God entrusted to you. Remember, Paul said this was the cause for his, great his greatest stress, caring for the people God has entrusted with. That was his greatest stress. He says, watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. This is just the opposite of what the false apostles and false preachers and teachers do today. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your good example. That's what Paul was doing there. He's going to talk about it more in chapter 12. He said, I led by example rather than authority. And when the head shepherd comes, your reward will be a never-ending share in his glory and honor. Those are the marks of a genuine apostle. They are the marks of a genuine servant of God. And so let me give you a challenge, and especially with this First Peter chapter 5. Here's my challenge to those of you who are assigned to our care here as pastors of Calvary Bible Church. If you believe that any of us as pastors are violating any of these instructions as given by Paul and Peter, and that we are acting more like the teachers at Corinth rather than as Peter describes, I want you to confront us with that. All right? Now, men, do I have your agreement with that? 
And to be sure, I'm not only speaking, but I want you to confront us if you feel that we are living the, like the teachers in Corinth rather than what Peter talks about here. In fact, you have an actual personal responsibility to do that. That's the reason why Paul said that the congregation was acting like fools because they were just passively allowing this to be done rather than confronting them. We need to be the kind of men of God that God describes for us in the passage in First Peter 5. And we need your help to do that. 